The parable of the talents is a tricky one. First of all, it involves a fair bit of math. Much of it revolves around these talents, an ancient form of measurement used for currency. Now, a talent is an especially large denomination. Some scholars estimate its value to be equivalent to 20 years of wages for a common laborer. So we're dealing with a lot of money here. Don't bother trying to keep track of it. Just know that it's immensely valuable. Secondly, Jesus appears to depict God here, the master of the story, the wealthy landowner, as greedy and vindictive, which just doesn't sit right. But that's only the case if we're still thinking about this parable in financial terms, and this parable really isn't about money at all. This rich man wants to see his wealth grow, yes, but these talents, these treasures, his wealth, these are all metaphors for the kingdom of God. The master entrusts his servants, his disciples, if you will, with the task of growing his kingdom. Some of them succeed, but one squanders his chance, burying his treasure in the ground instead of investing it. He lives in fear instead of hope. And it turns what could have been a remarkable opportunity into the worst day of his life. Our scripture today is from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once, the one who had received the five talents went off and traded them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and worthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid. And I went and hid 
your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the 10 talents. For to those, for to those, for to all those who have more than will be given, they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It's not a question of talent. As a singer, songwriter, and performer, Taylor Swift is plenty talented. She's probably the most popular performing artist in the entire world. And that doesn't happen by accident. I don't have anything against Taylor Swift, even if I roll my eyes at the cost of her concert tickets, even if I think that her relationship with Kansas City Chiefs tight end football star Travis Kelsey occupies a disproportionately large space in the news, while few seem to pay as much attention to, I don't know, rising ocean temperatures, for instance. No, I don't have anything against Taylor Swift at all. But as my stepfather once told one of my relatives at Thanksgiving dinner, it's not that I don't like you. I just don't like your personality. <laughs> well, it's not that I don't like Taylor Swift's personality either. She seems very nice. I just don't like her music. Again, it's not a question of talented. It's all just too wholesome and unironic for my tastes. The musical equivalent of the Hallmark Channel. While she's attempted the bad girl persona once or twice, she's just a, she's too girl next door to pull it off. I've spent plenty of time discussing my own personal musical tastes up here, so I won't bore you with that again today. But needless to say, this just ain't it. So this is all to say that I was not thrilled when my son Levi wanted to show me one of her music videos. We're laying in his bed about a year ago as I'm getting him to sleep, and we're listening to the ambient prog rock melodies of the Alan Parsons Project, when he tells me that he wants to watch this Taylor Swift video for a song called The Best Day. And reluctantly, I agree. The video opens with home footage of Taylor as a little girl at the beach with her mother, then playing with her toys, then painting a picture on one of those little easels that are made for kids propped up in her kitchen. There are close-ups of the girl and her mother smiling and laughing together, and then 
she starts to sing. I'm five years old, it's getting cold, I've got my big coat on. I hear your laugh and look up smiling at you, I run and run. Past the pumpkin patch, the tractor rides, look now, the sky is gold. I hug your legs and fall asleep on the way home. I don't know why all the trees change in the fall, but I know you're not scared of anything at all. Don't know if Snow White's house is near or far away, but I know I had the best day with you today. Dad, Levi asks me, Dad, are you crying? <laughs> no. I can barely respond for the tears welling up in my eyes. My eyes are just a little sweaty today. <sighs> Friends, I cannot watch that video. I cannot listen to that song without the waterworks coming on. I can't hear it without thinking of my kids when they were younger and the simple joy of those memories of my own childhood, my own mother, more innocent times. As Taylor Swift later says in the song, it's the age of princesses and pirate ships and the seven dwarfs. I guess it still is, given how often I eat at the seven dwarfs <laughs> in Wheaton, but it's just not the same. I was going to ask someone to sing this song this morning in worship, but I knew I'd start crying, and then you'd all start crying, and we'd all be standing around crying, and that hardly seems like a good way to spend the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Even while I was working on this sermon at Starbucks, and I had to look up the lyrics, I started choking up right there in the front window for all the world to see, like a sad clown on his stage. I don't know how to feel about this. Truth is, I hardly ever cry. I don't know about you, but I hardly let myself feel anything at all. Like a lot of people, I'm sure, I spend a lot of time in my head. Being a preacher is a little bit like being a, a detective in a never-ending investigation, always observing and analyzing the world in tandem with Scripture, searching for clues about who we are and why we're here and where God fits into the puzzle of our existence, chasing mysteries that can never be solved, filing weekly reports that attempt to explain what I myself am struggling to understand. My brain feels like one of those cork boards in a police procedural, lengths of red string stretched across seemingly unrelated photographs, implying a connection. I'm always thinking, seldom feeling. The funny thing is, if you put any stock in the Myers-Briggs personality test, I'm actually a feeling type, not a thinking one. I'm an INFP, introverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. I won't get into describing what all those mean, but the alternative to feeling in this context, of course, is thinking. And while I do more thinking than feeling, I don't think that's actually consistent with my nature. It's more of a defense mechanism, frankly, because feeling is hard and it's scary and it leaves you vulnerable to all kinds of painful experiences. That's true of my personal life, but also my professional one. 
you see a lot of hard things as a pastor. You see a lot of hard things. And while I know folks need empathy and compassion, they also need a steady shoulder to lean on. I can't be falling apart at somebody's deathbed or sobbing in the middle of a funeral or even worse, a wedding. We all have our emotional and psychological defense mechanisms. And like all such things, they they serve a purpose for a time, right? They protect us, but eventually they begin to interfere with our flourishing, maybe even our functioning. When you refuse to feel anything too deeply for too long, you risk losing your connection to yourself, to other people, to God. Gratitude especially becomes a struggle because it's hard to appreciate things when you think too hard about their context. It's hard to enjoy beautiful weather when you know that it's not supposed to be 65 degrees outside in the middle of November. You start thinking about all the implications of that. It was kind of nice, wasn't it? It's hard to appreciate the sweater you're going to get for Christmas when you realize how it was probably made in a sweatshop. It's hard to be grateful for your Thanksgiving dinner when you consider it from the perspective of the turkey. Folks often tell me that one of the things they love most about this church is that they don't have to leave their brain at the door on the way in. And I love that too. But sometimes I fear that I do leave my heart at the door. I'm so busy trying to analyze the world that we live in that I forget to actually experience it, to appreciate it. Cynicism lives in the head, but gratitude lives in the heart. And just how often, friends, do we bury our hearts lest we feel them beating? Jesus' parable of the talents is among the most widely misinterpreted scriptures of the New Testament, which is understandable. It's all about money, and yet it's not about money at all. It tells of this wealthy landowner who tasks three of his slaves with investing a portion of his wealth. Two of them succeed, turning a good profit, and they get promoted. But the third is more risk-averse. Afraid of his boss, he buries his treasure in the ground for safekeeping, earning nothing on the principal, infuriating his master who throws him out on the street. Now, some folks use this text to prop up the flaccid prosperity gospel, theology too weak to stand on its own. They'll tell you that God rewards faithful servants with financial success and that poverty is indicative of moral failings, which seems to contradict just about everything Jesus ever said. It's not hard to reach that conclusion if you take this parable literally, Parables are explicitly metaphorical, and you shouldn't do that. What, then, do these talents represent? Well, maybe this parable isn't about the talents themselves, but rather our willingness to take risks. As Dr. Carla Works, professor of New Testament studies at Wesleyan, writes, this slave, however, was too afraid to take a risk even though risky behavior was part of the master's business. Instead, he attempts to secure his own well-being 
That sounds a lot like what I've been describing here today, doesn't it? That when we give in to fear, we're afraid to take risks, practical risks, but also emotional risks, instead attempting to secure our own well-being. The irony, as the parable teaches us, is that our well-being actually suffers when we can't take emotional risks. We can't grow. We can't thrive. We certainly can't be grateful. I think I'm a pretty good Christian in my head. I can articulate my theology, arrange all the pieces into a semblance of order. It's logical, it's consistent. But I'm not always a good Christian in my heart because I'm afraid too often to take the risk of feeling something. I'm afraid that it's going to hurt because that's what love does. It hurts. When you lose it, it hurts. Even when you have it, when you let your guard down and fully experience it, it hurts like sunlight that burns your eyes if you stare into it. As another song I'm fond of goes, strange the way beauty can hurt the opened eye, much more than all of the filth and pain we're soaked in ever could. See, that's not the kind of thing that Taylor Swift would ever write. <laughs> but I digress. The point is, beauty hurts too. But when we bury our feelings, our love, our hope, our proverbial talents, we, we miss out on everything that life has to offer. We cut off our connection to the divine. We fail to be God's love in the world. We also fail to appreciate the present moment. It could be the best day of your life, and you wouldn't even know it. Two or three years ago, just a couple of weeks before Halloween, I took my son Levi to spend the day at Sunny Acres Farm. It's since become a bit of a tradition. It's a beautiful October afternoon, a bit chilly, but the sky is blue, the sun is bright, and the leaves are all a million shades of red and gold. Now, whereas I tend to be a little bit cheap about these family excursions, if I'm being honest, counting every dollar, complaining about the inflated cost of french fries and apple cinnamon donuts, that sort of thing, I decide right up front that I'm not going to worry about that today. I go ahead and I buy about $60 worth of tickets for Levi, more than enough to enjoy all the rides and attractions and hot chocolate that he wants. And Levi runs through the pumpkin patch laughing as I try to keep up. As the day unfolds, we take advantage of everything the farm has to offer. We climb aboard a tractor for the haunted hayride, winding our way across the fields and through the trees. We take two or maybe three tours through the little haunted house for kids, a little more than a shack, really. And he tells me that it's not scary at all, though he holds my hand a little tighter. I watch him play in the playground, running and climbing, and telling me to watch him as he goes down the slide. We visit the petting zoo, same one that I talked about a couple weeks ago, feeding snacks to the sheep and the goats, before washing our hands at the little water pump and getting a bite to eat. We ride the little train, the kind they have at the shopping mall. I can barely get my legs inside, but he's as happy as a clam, waving to folks as we pass them by. 
sun is lower in the sky now, beginning to crest over the horizon. It's time to go home. We stopped to buy a pumpkin on the way back to our car, making sure to pick out just the right one for the front porch. By the time we've gotten halfway home, Levi's fallen asleep in the back seat of my car. And later that night, as I'm putting him to bed, he says to me, and I will never forget this, Dad, today was the best day. And it didn't occur to me until I began working on this sermon But that is why this saccharine Taylor Swift song always makes me cry. Bearing in mind everything I just told you, listen to these words again. I'm five years old, it's getting cold, I've got my big coat on. I hear your laugh and look up smiling at you, I run and run. Past the pumpkin patch and the tractor rides. Look now, the sky is gold. I hug your legs and fall asleep on the way home. I don't know why the trees change in the fall, but I know you're not scared of anything at all. Don't know if Snow White's house is near or far away, but I know I had the best day with you today. And it really was too, a seemingly ordinary Saturday, really. It was one of the best days of my life, and I will always be grateful for it. Friends, gratitude lives in the heart. We can bury it, afraid of getting hurt, always worrying about the cost, but that's no way to live. Better, perhaps, to take the risk of loving deeply however many tears it brings. To pay the price without counting the cost. Only then can we watch an ordinary day turn into the best day of our lives. Amen. Amen.